Before we, we, we jump into it, um, I want to give you just a quick background on, on this series. Uh, this has come from a lot of uh, one-on-one conversations, to be honest with, with many of you. Um, it, it's, it's no surprise what we've been through, right? A year ago um, feels like perhaps 20 years ago for us. Uh, I don't know if you can remember the start of 2020 or maybe the end of 2019 coming into 2020. There was all this hope, right? It was the beginning of a new decade, and we're about to embark on this new adventure, and everybody had all this hope, and there were all these kind of gimmicks of 2020 vision, and we were just so excited for what was going to happen in 2020, right? It's a new year. It's a new decade. And then 2020 hits, right? It's like, seriously? That's how we're starting this off? I read an article last night uh, that was written at the end of 2019 that talked about all of, of the dark, troubling years that we'd been through and how this was hope for the future coming into 2020. And there we were. I don't need to remind you of what happened during 2020. I don't need to depress you even more than that, but 2020 happened. And then maybe perhaps you worked your way through 2020 and 2021 was coming around and it was like oh, the start of another new year. This is it. And then we started a new year, and it didn't feel much different than the year before, did it? And it just seemed like, what in the world is going on? Like, we were all kind of hoping, like, finally we'll break free. And, and 2021 just felt like 2020 part two. Um, and, and, you know, I don't want to spend the whole message talking about the pandemic, because thank God, I feel like we're kind of on the cusp of the end of that, right? Like, we're here, we don't have to wear masks, we can be outside, and it feels like we're wrapping up on the end of that. So you might ask them, why, why the title? Why, why the message? Because what I've discovered through last year and even the start of this year is the pandemic wasn't the only thing happening. That many of us were going through other things happening in our life. Some of us had health scares and job loss and issues with our children. And, and there was loss in our families. And it just seemed like, like, like it was just kind of one hit after another. I mean, we all know the feeling of, of, of hope, right? Like you, you start a new job because the old job was so terrible. And you're so excited about the new job. And then it starts and it's just kind of more of the old or perhaps, you know, you were in a broken relationship and you had all this hope for a new relationship and you get into the new relationship. And there's all these butterflies and all these good feelings and you're just hoping like this one could be the one. Then it doesn't. I mean, we, we do this with sports teams, right? We, we, we're all guilty of this. We always think this year's the year. I mean, I'm a Philadelphia Eagles fan. I've been saying that forever. This year's the year. And I believe that. And then it just kind of doesn't happen. In our family, we're, we're uh, big uh, uh, fans of Disney movies. Uh, I have three little girls, so we love Disney movies, and it has nothing to do with, with my love and fascination for Disney animated movies, but uh, we watch them all the time. Um, you're familiar with the, the 90s Disney movie Pocahontas? <clears throat> in Pocahontas, there was a song that, that was sung in Pocahontas, and I promised you I would never sing, so I'm not going to sing this morning, but there's a song in Pocahontas that kind of became more popular than the movie, and it was the song Right Around the River Bend, right? She's singing, and what's around the river bend, and right around the river bend, and the song's filled with all this hope of, of what's right around the corner, and the, uh, what could be right around the corner. I just can't see it, but, but it's right there, and what's around the corner? And I don't know about you, but maybe the last year to year and a half, it felt like, like, what's around the river bend? And then we cross the river bend, and it's a waterfall. It's like, seriously? <laughs> or like, we, we just hiked a mountain, and we get to the top of the mountain. It's like, I did it. And then you look up, and there's another mountain. 
It's like, I, I, I thought we were kind of through this thing. It's like, like you know, you're, you're going through traffic. You ever driven through Connecticut? You hit like one spot of traffic, and then you, it kind of clears up, and you're so excited. I can make up some time, and then you hit construction again, and it's more traffic. I mean, I, I'm kind of running out, out of uh, illustrations here. You, you get the idea, though. It's just like, like you're in the ocean, and one wave hits you and knocks you down, and you, you stand back up, and what's right behind it? Another wave. It's like the hits just keep on coming. And, and to be honest, I, I don't, I don't want to depress this, but, but I have to start with this little bit of a depressing thought. The, the hits keep coming, and it, it keeps getting harder. And, and we try to pick our heads up, and we try to smile, and we try to have hope. And sometimes life just seems really difficult. And as difficult as, as life can seem, what's maybe more hard is that we have no promise that it's going to get any easier. And we, we want to believe that, and, and we hope for that, but there's no promise. And, and it's, it's maybe a little bit depressing for some of us and, and a little bit hard for us, but what do we do? What do we do when the hits just keep on coming? What, what do we do when, when it feels like we've crossed the riverbend and, and there's just another riverbend, and it's like riverbend after riverbend, and I'm hoping and I'm hoping, but I'm never seeing the thing that, that I'm hoping for? How do we maintain our faith? when it feels like we're just keep getting hit? How do we continue to trust God? How do we continue to follow Jesus when this year seems like a lot of what last year was like? And I know nobody wants to ask that question. But I think if you're all really honest with yourself, I'm guessing at some point along the lines, you may have thought something similar to that. Like, seriously, God? Is, is, is it worth following? If, this is, if it's going to be more of this, if this year is going to look just like it did last year, if, if the hits are just going to keep coming and keep coming, I mean, hopefully we never have to live through another pandemic. But, but let's be honest, the pandemic was the only thing that happened in the last 18 months. Some of us have suffered some terrible things. Some of us are suffering some terrible things right now. How do we move forward when the hits just keep coming? I know what you're thinking. Jim, that is like the worst intro. Why in the world? You see, I, I, I wanna, we're going to look at a narrative this morning, but before we jump into it, I, I want to talk a little bit about um, something I, I see. It, it's, it's the way we, we kind of live our life, and we tend to live our life with, with these two separate extremes, depending on how good or bad things are going. Uh, um, we tend to look through lenses, if you will, and the first lens we look through is what I will call the lens of faith. And <clears throat> don't misunderstand me. I, I think we should all have a lens of faith. I'm a pastor. My hope, my, my dream for all of you is that you would have a lens of faith, that we would look through life with, with a lens of faith. But, but what tends to happen, especially it, it with a church crowd, is that we look through a lens of faith, and we look through that lens exclusively, and that we look through that lens to an extreme. And, and uh, if you're not a Christian, you're kind of sat on the outside of this, you're familiar with this, because it's almost like, like they've lost touch with reality. And we begin to say all of these kind of Christian gimmicky phrases like, oh, but God knew that was going to happen. And then if you're going through suffering, and not, let's exclude the pandemic, whatever suffering, whatever trial you might be going through, uh, my family and I faced our own. I found myself asking this question, really? If, if God knew, then why didn't he do something about it? Like, I don't like that answer, but that tends to happen. We look through, we look through this lens of faith with, with this, this extremism, and it makes us feel like we've almost detached ourselves from reality, like, like we have no idea what's going on with the world. But, but then kind of juxtaposed to that, this juxtaposition, is that we also can look through life with this lens of suffering, because some of us have suffered. And we can look through this lens of suffering, and if we look through this lens of, of suffering exclusively, really what happens is we just get like, completely depressed. 
and lose all hope. And my hope for us this morning, really what I want to talk about and kind of focus on is that we don't look through one or the other, but that we, we, we look through both, that we understand that there is suffering and that suffering happens all the time and we have just gone through a long period of suffering. But there's hope because of the lens of faith. And not, not to separate them and live in this extremism of, of one or the other, but to be able to look through both. Because when we can look through both, we, we, we tend to have a better understanding of life. And not just an understanding, but we tend to have hope in the middle of understanding and in the middle of, of this suffering. You see, faith without suffering just makes us feel like we're not in touch with the world. And suffering without faith is completely and utterly depressing. So if we remove suffering, we're left with just faith. And if we remove faith, we're left with just suffering. So we have to find a way to, to, to see through both. Because, I don't know if you know this, but we're all going to suffer at some point. Following Jesus doesn't remove us from suffering. As a matter of fact, when you look through the scriptures, and as we're going to see this morning, a lot of people, everybody who followed Jesus at some point, had a season of suffering. And what happens when you're facing a season of suffering and, and that only faith lens of, you know, but life's so good and God's so good, and, but you're suffering. You see, there's a way to view both, and that's what we're going to look at this morning. I think God has something very clear and in particular to say about us when we're going through seasons of suffering, and better yet, when we're going through seasons of suffering, and how to maintain our faith, and for some of us, how to even grow in our faith through seasons of suffering. And that's what I want for all of us this morning, is that we wouldn't just have a plain old faith, or we wouldn't just have our suffering, but we would be able to suffer through our faith, and we'd have hope, and perhaps we'd even grow. See, a lens of faith in the middle of suffering is, is really what I want all of us to have. Because the pandemic may be tailing off for some of us, and life may feel like it's going back to normal. But for others of us, the suffering's continued. Or perhaps the suffering's just starting. Or maybe the suffering's right around the, the river bend. And we don't want to hear that. But that's life. That's kind of what happens. And, and if we look through life with just the lens of suffering, we'll lose our faith. And that's not what I want for us. I want us to be able to look at our, our situation and to, to walk through our suffering, but to have hope, a hope that is secure, a hope that will keep us through whatever it is we might be facing. See, faith, our faith, is most defined through the seasons of suffering. It's kind of what, what it shows us what we're made of. It, it, it kind of it shows us what's kind of on the inside. It, it, it kind of squeezes. That's what suffering does. It squeezes us, and, and we begin to see on the other side of that who we really are. Sometimes things don't turn out that great, and, 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 and our faith gets squeezed a little bit. It's kind of like that, that tube of toothpaste. You don't really know what's on the inside until you squeeze it, and then you begin to see what's on the inside. That's what suffering does to us. It squeezes us, and then it begins to show us what was in there all along. And for some of us, it's, it's a good thing. For some of us, we see where our faith is attached. It's like, wow, my faith was attached to that. And for others of us, like, wow, my faith was attached to that? So what does faith look like for you? What does faith look like for you when you're in the middle of suffering? What does faith look like for you when the world falls apart, like in the middle of a pandemic, or your world falls apart because of a job loss or a health issue? Or you, you've, you've, you know, suffered a, a terrible relationship. What does faith look like for you in those moments? We're going to look at a narrative 
one single narrative for this series, and we're going to kind of walk through it over the next few weeks. And I think it's an incredible narrative that, that I believe will offer you so much hope. It's taken from the book of Acts, and in this passage, it's right around the start of the church and the spread of the news of Jesus. But before we jump into that, I just want to kind of give us just some words of caution. As we're walking through this, and not just today, but over the next few weeks, let's not play the hardship Olympics. That's like we're giving gold medals out to those who've suffered the most. We tend to have this habit of either kind of making our suffering less then we kind of don't value it, or maybe we value it too much and we make it more than compared to what other people are going through, if they're going through something less than or more than. Com- comparison's never a good thing. Let's not compare our suffering to someone else's suffering. Let's just realize, it, to some degree, we all are going to suffer. No good comes out of comparison. And beyond that, when we get into the story, let's not even compare it with what th- these gentlemen are going through, the, the group of people that we're going to read about, because the, hopefully the suffering they're encountering is worse than the suffering you've ever encountered or are encountering or will ever encounter. The story picks up with um, uh, one man who, who, who kind of was the start of the church movement. Jesus had, had died and he'd been resurrected and he'd gone to heaven. And the church was beginning to spread. The news of Jesus was beginning to spread. Churches were beginning to pop up all around the Mediterranean Rim in the first century. And it all kind of came from this one man that we know as, as who saw, but we know him as Paul. Paul traveled around and he began to tell all the people about Jesus. And he comes into to one town with really not knowing anyone. He's traveling with a group of people. And this is where our story picks up. Once when we, and Luke, we believe, is the author of Acts, <clears throat> Luke was traveling with Paul, and there was other people traveling with Paul. So as Luke is saying, we, the whole kind of collective group of us, once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future, which for some of you, you're thinking, that sounds really cool. Like, I would love to be able to predict the future, and maybe for some people it was, but for her, it, it wasn't. She was being tormented by the spirit. However, the spirit also gave her the ability to make money for other people. She earned a great deal of money uh, for her owners by this gift of being able to tell the future or by fortune telling. She had followed Paul and the rest of us around, shouting, these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. What's really interesting here is that this spirit, this, this, this demonic spirit, if you will, this false spirit that's in her, that's giving her the ability to tell the future, is telling the truth. Like everything she said is right. These are servants of God and they're telling you the way to be saved. Nothing she said is wrong. So what's the problem in this story? Well, she continues to do this, to follow them around for many days, just yelling behind them. These men are the men of the most high God and they're telling you the way to be saved. If, if you're a parent or you spend any time with kids, it's like when your kid comes up to you and, and my, Juliana, my, my youngest, is at this phase. She just says this all, and I don't know how my wife deals with it. Mom, mom, mama, 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 mommy, mama. And I'm not lying. It's it, like she'll say that on repeat until we stop everything we're doing and talk. And that's, that I imagine is like it was for Paul. This girl just kept following them around as they're trying to talk. They're new in town. No one really knows them. They're just trying to go about their business. And someone's standing, and he's, she's not like talking. She's shouting so everybody can see. These men are men of the most high God, and they've come. Clearly, it's irritating, right? So finally, finally, Paul himself gets so annoyed that he turns around and he says to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. I mean, we can't blame Paul, right? Like, this is annoying. This is so aggravating. She's just... It's like she's telling you guys the truth. That's awesome. We have this, like, this, so somebody blowing the horn, letting everybody know why we're here. But man, it's annoying. So he does what I think any of us would do. 
Didn't go well, though. Because although setting her free from that spirit may have been good for her, it wasn't good for the people who were making money on her. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they performed a citizen's arrest. They seized Paul and Silas. Silas was another man who was in this group with Paul, kind of traveling around. They got their hands on Paul and Silas, and they dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. So they, they, they formed this citizen's arrest. They grabbed these guys by the cloaks. Get this, for doing something good. And they dragged them before basically the, the, the police, right? The, the authorities, the magistrates. They bring them before the magistrates, and they say, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar. How? We just got here. We didn't even say anything yet. <clears throat> By advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or even practice. And as we get more into this narrative over the next weeks, we're going to see that what they're accusing them of was completely false. There's no truth to it. There's no leg to stand on. There's no law to support their accusations. They fabricated some accusations to attack these men, accused them wrongly. <clears throat> the crowd turned and joined in on the attack against Paul and Silas. And the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. I mean, just imagine this. In, in an hour, everything changed for these guys. They walked around with relative anonymity. And then in like an hour or two, they're arrested and they're being beaten with rods. Luke continues. It says, after they were severely flogged. So they weren't like chased around with sticks. Like you might chase your kids around with sticks, although you shouldn't chase your kids around with sticks. <laughs> they were severely flogged. And we've talked about what flogging looks like, so I won't go into those details. These men were beaten and broken. They were thrown into prison. And the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Now, we don't know why he was given that command. My speculation is the magistrates were so concerned about how much this crowd has worked up into a frenzy. Like, you've got to guard them because they're going to come and murder them. So the magistrates gave him this command to guard them carefully. When he received <clears throat> these orders, the jailer put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. I, I, just imagine what's happening here. Think of that word fastened for a minute. He fastened their feet in stocks. These guys came to town to do something good. They weren't, weren't even able to start the work before this girl showed up and made a scene. And, 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 and now they're arrested and they're thrown in prison on, on what could be one of the, the darkest nights of their life. They've been beaten with sticks until they're broken and bruised and battered. They're thrown in jail and their feet are fastened with stocks. I mean, just in an hour or two, everything changed. And the, the immortal words of Ron Burgundy, it's like, that escalated quickly. We didn't expect it to go this way. No one planned on this. But they were in their dark hour. It makes me kind of wonder, <clears throat> what happens to us when we're in our dark hour? What fastens our feet to the ground? Luke tells us that at about midnight, Paul and Silas were, and you might know where this goes, but I just want to pause there. Before we jump to what happened, I just, I want you for a minute to be like a child and just use your imagination. What would it have been like to be in their shoes? 
to show up and, and to be wrongly accused, to be arrested by people who didn't even know you, and to be beaten and thrown in prison and, and shackled, and not just be thrown in prison, but you're in like the center cell. There's no room with a view. It's like the worst of the worst for you. This was possibly their darkest night ever. And what do we find them doing? I, I don't know about you, and I don't know when your darkest night was, but I can tell you, when I think back over my darkest nights, over my like midnight hour experiences, well, here's what you would probably find me doing. Shaking my fist at God in anger. Like, God, are you really there? I, I've been following you. I, I've, I've read the scripture. I pray, maybe not every day, but, but I try to. I, I've been a good kid. I've been a good boy. I've been a good man. Like, why am I suffering? Why me? Why will you do anything? I don't like this. I like it when things go my way. I like it when things work out better for me. God, where are you in the midst of this? Maybe that's how you feel in your midnight hour. Shaking your fist, angry at God. To be honest, who would blame you? See, I don't know what you were doing. I have an idea what I was doing. We know what Paul and Silas were doing. And they weren't doing what I would do at midnight. Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. I mean, is that hard to fathom? Is that hard to even believe? They were beaten with rods. They were shackled in prison for doing God's work. And instead of sitting there and sulking in their pain and, 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 and feeling all that they could be feeling, they prayed. And they sang songs. I, this is what I was talking about with this lens of faith kind of a thing. It, it's, it's, you almost catch yourself wondering, like, Paul, do you just not realize what's going on? Like, like are you so focused and so seeing life through this, this lens of faith that you just kind of lost touch with reality? See, here's the truth about Paul. Paul was no stranger to suffering. And if you read the rest of Paul's story, you see that it's not like things get any easier for here for him. He continues to suffer. He continues to endure hardship and trial. You know what's around the river bend for Paul? More of this. But he doesn't get angry. He doesn't shake his fist. See, Paul's experience shows us that there was something deeper going on here. Paul didn't do away with his suffering. He felt his suffering. But his suffering didn't own him. He was willing to put his hope in God and, more specifically, in what God had already done. He put his hope in Jesus and in, in what Jesus had done. You know the story. Jesus came and he died. He predicted his own death and his own resurrection three days later, and then he pulled it off. Paul said, my hope is in that. My hope is in the God that ordained that and performed that. My hope it isn't even in some, some weird kind of future outcome. It's in the things I know. It's in the things that have been promised us. You see, Paul had a lens of faith even in the middle of his suffering. I told you this before, but, but suffering, it reveals to us what we have tied our faith to. We saw what Paul tied his faith to. He tied his faith to Jesus to the resurrection, to, to God and who he knew God was and what God had promised him to do because Paul had seen that God would fulfill his promises regardless of what Paul had hoped. 
But it kind of leaves me wondering, what's my faith tied to? In the middle of, of my suffering, where does my faith go? Do I fall on the positive side in the middle of suffering? And do I feel like, wow, look how secure my faith is, that even the suffering couldn't throw it? Or do I find myself on this side saying, wow, look what my faith was tied to. That's not secure. There's no hope. It's like that feeling you get when you open up your bank account online and you see your savings account numbers begin to dwindle and that anxiety and that worry starts to take over. It's that feeling you get when you, know, you started that new job and you had all the hopes and aspirations of it working out and then you realize it's just more of the same thing that was. It's the feeling you get when you have a health scare, when you have a job crisis, when it feels like your world's beginning to fall apart. What's your faith tied to in those moments? In the case of Paul and Silas, their faith was tied to something that was stronger than, surely it's going to get better than this. Surely this year is going to be better than next year. Surely what's around the river bend is going to be better than what I've just gone through. Their faith was tied to something that was way more secure than that. What do you tie your faith to? In the moments when life throws something at you, then we would, we would absolutely not want to endure. What's your faith tied to? Often we tie our faith to the promises of God. Really, what we tie our faith to is promises that God didn't even make. Right? We, we, we want to believe that, that um, we'll just live a healthy life, but, but I've got to be honest, death is still here, and the death-to-person ratio is still one-to-one. I, I don't know of anybody who's beaten that yet. You? Except for Jesus. It, it, it's still there. We, we have this idea that if we follow God and if we be a good person, everything's going to work out right. But we don't see that because when we look at the life of Jesus, Jesus said, no, you will have suffering. And if they, if they persecuted me, they're also going to persecute you. And then we follow the story of, of the apostles, the 12 apostles and people like Paul. And it's like, but their story didn't end up that way. You see, we, we're tying our faith to things that, that we, we hope God said, but things that God didn't really say. So here, here's what I want to do. I, I think there are two promises that are so kind of key to this conversation. I know that there are way more than that through the scriptures, but there are two promises that God did make to us that I think we can hold on to, that perhaps even in this moment where Paul and Silas were suffering their darkest midnight hour, maybe this was the thing they were holding on to. That in, in the middle of their suffering, in the middle of their anguish, in the middle of the hits just keep on coming, they fastened their faith to actual promises. And not promises of future outcomes, but actual promises of God. Their faith was tied to things like this. God said that he would never leave you. I don't know about you, but in the middle of suffering, that may be one of the most peaceful, hopeful things that I can hold on to. I don't need to reiterate my story. I've told it to you once before, but my family had the hits keep coming through the pandemic. And in the moments where I find myself alone trying to wrestle with what we were going through after what we had all just been through, I found so much hope in the thought, in the promise that I wasn't going through this alone. 
that everything I had felt, God was feeling more. That all the frustration and anger that I had, all the, the resentment I had that, that my wife would be hurt. God cared for her even more than I did. And he was sitting there in that pain and in that suffering with me. I don't know about you, but I think that is an amazing promise to hold on to. And perhaps it was the promise that Paul was holding on to in that moment. God, I've, I've done this for you. I can stand and I can sing because I'm not doing this alone. You are right here with me. That's not the only promise. The other promise that God made was that no matter what happens, no matter what you're going to go through, I'm going to bring something good out of it. And that doesn't mean we need to rejoice in our suffering. Don't get me wrong. I don't think any of us are going to finish off this year and say, I am so glad I went through that pandemic. I'm so glad. I'm so glad that relationship was just ripped apart. I'm so glad I lost my job and my family had financial crisis. I'm so glad because of that health scare or, or because of, of this thing that I lost. I'm just so glad. I don't know that we'll ever get on the other side of suffering and look back and say, I'm just so happy. But I do think we can turn around and we can say, not only was God with me, but he began to do something good, even in the middle of what was most painful for me. Even in the middle of my worst and my darkest moments, my midnight hour, he was with me. And he's beginning to do something good. The truth is, you probably aren't going to see it when you're going through it. But 2020 vision, when you get to the end and you turn around and you look and you begin to see that God was doing something in this, man, there's hope in that. There's peace in that. And don't misunderstand this conversation. God didn't bring your suffering. But he said, I can bring you hope in the middle of your suffering. And I think that's a promise worth holding on to. I think that's a promise that through your suffering, you'll look down and you go, wow, look at what my faith was tethered to. Look at what my faith was tied to. I was rocked. My world was rocked. I should be in shambles right now. But for God. That's what I want for you. That's what I want for me. Because sometimes the hits are going to keep on coming. And it's going to feel like blow after blow after blow. And if your faith isn't tied to something secure, if it isn't tied to the actual promises of God, you may find yourself through your suffering looking down and going, what in the world have I tied my faith to? I don't know about you, but I'm glad God's not like the tooth fairy. <clears throat> and that is the exact response I got, or I expected to get when I made that statement in my notes. <laughs> um, Throughout the pandemic, my daughter, if you have any kids, you may want to shield your ears because I might pop some bubbles for them. Um, <clears throat> my oldest daughter, Isabella, lost a tooth during the pandemic, and it was a Thursday. She lost the tooth, and, you know, they get all excited about the tooth fairy. So she's like, Dad, look, and she's freaking out, and her hands are bloody, and, you know, blood's coming down her mouth. She's holding up her tooth. Look, I got a tooth. I said, all right, well, you know, clean it off. That's gross. Put it in a Ziploc bag. <laughs> But on your pillow tonight, <clears throat> she, she did. And Thursdays in my house are busy. Tanya works a long day that day. So I feel like I'm, I'm you know, playing dad and, and mom at the same time. And I, I don't juggle either of those things well on their own, let alone together. So Thursday night rolls around. And she's all excited. And she takes the little Ziploc bag and she slips it under her pillow. And we check her. Did you put it under your pillow? Yeah, I did. Oh, that's awesome. 
you know, we'll see, we'll see the tooth fairy does in the morning. Well, you know, I don't juggle any of those things well. So she went to bed and I cleaned up and then we went to bed and completely forgotten. She woke up the next morning and I could hear her from my room say, oh, I can't believe she didn't come. She totally forgot about me. And like my heart's like, oh, Jamie, you, you suck. Can't believe you forgot. Can't believe it. So quickly, I, I do what every parent does. I come up with an excuse, and I walk in, and I say, hey, uh, I, I don't know what happened. It must have been the pandemic. <laughs> it's COVID. She couldn't get here. I, you know, maybe tonight. Uh, <laughs> that is not good parenting advice. I'm just being honest. Um, so Friday rolls around, and you know, she's talking about it all day, about how they forgot. And she's talking about it. How could she forget? I can't believe she forgot about me. And it must have been the stupid pandemic. And then my kids walk around saying, stupid COVID, stupid COVID. <laughs> like, it, it's just crazy. Friday night rolls around. And every Friday night, we have this uh, family tradition. We call it camp out, where all the kids bring their pillows and sleeping bags down. And we sleep in the living room. We watch movies and eat popcorn. It's the only night they get candy or soda. And it's like our, our, our tradition. So we do. And, you know, she comes down with her pillow and she slips her little Ziploc bag under it again. And, I'm going to remember this time. I even got the money in my pocket. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm on it. Sure enough, I fall asleep first. <laughs> oh, and I wake up in the morning, and I wake up to her ripping her pillow. She forgot again. <clears throat> I'm like, there's no way she forgot. I'm like, look around. Maybe you misplaced it. And <clears throat> she starts looking around, and, and I, I take the money. I like, throw it over the back of her shoulder. <laughs> oh, it's over there. You must have moved it. It must have, you know, it must have got stuck. And she's okay. And, and I just say, <laughs> that's all funny. Um, but as I thought about that story, in, uh, what we're talking about today, I, I think, thank God God isn't like the tooth fairy who forgets. Thank God it's not like the tooth fairy where you have to follow a certain ritual or routine to get the promise. I've got to clean off my tooth and put it in a Ziploc and have it under my pillow or she won't be able to come. He's not like that. He's not a God that has to be kind of worked into his promise. He's not a God that's going to forget about his promise. This is the thing that made Paul and Silas' faith so secure, that even standing in the inner cell, uh, being shackled to the ground, having just been beaten, they could stand and they could sing and they could praise because they knew God doesn't forget. God's not leaving me alone. God has, hasn't, like, I haven't forgot to perform some ritual to make God on my side. He is on my side, and he is for me. He is with me, even in the middle of what I'm going through right now. I don't know about you, but I'm glad God is not like the tooth fairy. You see, our lens of faith, even in the middle of suffering, is strong enough to hold us every single time, no matter what we're going through. And I know what some of you have gone through, and it is awful and it is life-shattering, and my heart aches for you when I hear your stories. But your faith, it can hold you through that every single time. And that's my prayer for you, that we would learn this from Paul, that, that our faith would be tethered to a promise that is secure, <coughs> to the promise of Jesus and his resurrection. What we sang about this morning, that he could offer us life and hope because of what he did for us. That's what I want for you. There are so many more promises, but those are two that I think in every situation you could hold on to. Earlier I told you that one of the promises we hold on to is that we believe that following God would make our lives better all the time. That there's just, there's, it's always up and to the right. And while that may not be true, 
even in the middle of a pandemic, even in the middle of your moment of suffering, if you're going through your midnight hour right now, he's with you. And he's beginning to take that terrible thing and he's going to bring some good out of it. So maybe I was wrong. Maybe your life is going to get better in the end. Because God was with you. Because he took something that was absolutely horrible. And he made it good. I want to pray with you. But before we do, I want to set up where we're going next week. <clears throat> that verse you read about Paul and Silas, that was only the first part of the verse. I want to read you the second part of that verse. At midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And here's the kicker. And the other prisoners, they were listening to them. And that may be one of the most key things for us as we start realizing, as we're walking through our suffering, as the hits just keep coming, what singing, what praying, what having a faith tied to something secure can do, not just for us, but for those around us. I'd like to pray for you. So if you would, just bow your head and close your eyes. Here's really what I want to do. I want to pray for all of us, but in particular, I want to pray for those of us who we've been through the ringer. It has just been blow after blow, and it feels hard, and it feels down, and it feels like life has just beaten us. Oftentimes, I can't say that I know what you're going through. I know what some of you are going through. I've been walking the road myself. But I know that our God is greater and bigger, and he's with you. And he's going to do something amazing through you, even this. Heavenly Father, I thank you, God. Lord, I thank you for your promises that hold true even to this day, thousands and thousands of years after you made them. God, I know for some of us this past 18 months has been brutal. God, not just going through the pandemic, but everything else that came along with it. God, I, I pray that you would help us, Lord, and even now in this moment, maybe in our midnight hour, God, to, to realize and to hold on to the promises that you've made us. God, that they would feel your presence with them even now more than they ever have before. And God, that in, in the moments of tears and in the moments of, of heartache, that they would even now be able to look back and see, God, maybe just, just a, a twinkle of you in, in this horrible situation, that you are beginning to do something, God, that they can't explain, something that they had no idea would even come about, but some good is beginning to come out of something bad. God, I pray that they would hold on to you, God, onto your promise that you loved us so much that you would send your own son to this world. God, to open a door to you so that we could be with you and that you could be with us. God, I pray for those of us, Lord, who maybe have, have only looked through life through the lens of suffering and it just feels dark and depressed and lonely. God, that we would also bring in that lens of faith and we would see the hope and the promise that comes along with it. I pray that you would encourage us and that you'd lift us up. In your Son, our Savior's name, I pray. Amen.